just a couple of the things that we found throughout the Exodus so far. Um, there was a, there's been a uh, sort of back and forth about what the nature of leaving was. God initially is just for the Israelites to take all their stuff and go away for three days and worship God, and then they'll come back to, to Egypt. Um, Pharaoh's heart keeps being hardened. The, the calamities of the, uh, of the plagues keep sort of rising in, in prominence, certainly, as they go throughout. Um, and then I would say that in, in last, week's, uh, last week's session, we went through, and it's, it tells the story of the first Passover and the establishing of the festival of Passover probably, oh, what do you think, Sylvia, three or four different ways? They kind of, they keep sort of reiterating it about what's uh, what's going on, and um, so it's clear that this is not just a it's it's a historic telling of of the Passover event, but it's also very much establishing that first festival and what you need to do around that first festival, um, and why there's unleavened bread and what questions will be asked by generations to come. No, we didn't make it that far. No, we just because I know ready we stopped. For the song. That's ready for the song. Ready for the song. So we'll start off right at the beginning of chapter fifteen, the song of Moses. Why do they say this is the song of Moses? I've heard it's the song of Miriam. You gotta wait for that. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army has cast into, he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue and I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, splendor, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples heard, they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the cities of Edom were dis dis dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as stone until your people, O Lord, passed by until the people whom you acquired passed by. You brought them in and planted them on a mountain of your own possession. 
The place, O Lord, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his chariot drivers went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So these are the two songs. Uh, Moses taking the, the, the major verses and Miriam gathering all the women in chorus, sort of. Um, does anything stand out in the, in the song of Moses or Miriam? Very certainly short. Uh, <clears throat> yes, it but is. But we have this one uh, almost entirely, you know, lots of times, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Mm -hmm. And the, forget about the, less, the rest of it, the horse and the riders to put into the sea. We don't sing that, but, but uh, that's... Yeah, and this this is going to establish a pattern in scripture, in uh, Jewish worship, and then obviously in Christian scripture and Christian worship of song connected to the acts of God. Um, I'm always I always take note when I read this um, within the the early part of especially Luke's gospel, right? Uh, Mary in in multiple instances, um, breaks out in song. Um, and they and they have a lot of these same themes. So when we think of, of Mary's, you know, knowledge of the faith, she's been in great, this is what they this is what they sing. They sing the Psalms, they sing the the songs of um, the scriptures. So when when she starts her Magnificat, likely sung, right, it would have it had some of these similar themes, you know. Uh, the Lord is my strength and my might and has become my salvation. Um, so you have that in there. You have the talk of the ancestors. You have one other instance in here, though, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, verses 14 through 17. What's, what's peculiar about 14 through 17? Well, they're not about the Jews. I mean, they're not about the Egyptians. It's not about they, the Egyptians. Yeah, they are, well, even Moab aren't, aren't, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melt, melted away. That's the early tribes. Yep. It, it must be like, this is the future? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, you can... I think the, the probably the easiest explanation is this is, I would say this is someone writing back into Moses' song with, with foreknowledge of what will happen. Um, or it gives Moses the sort of a, a, uh, a bit of being a, a prophet or a, or a fortune teller or something like that. But these are events that haven't happened yet. So... It's, it's a little out of place. We've seen that before. 
um, when we were doing going through Genesis, right? Things of things of future will kind of pop back in, um, and and that's just part of the historical retelling that that happens with some of these. Um, but ultimately, and it and it ties together the works of the past, the the voices of the past with the works and voices of the future. Look at verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. Yep. Yeah, drawn to a lot of a lot of our hymnody and our songs are drawn directly from scripture, but um, so yeah, this is a this is a song retelling of what they've just been through. It's a celebration, and then for those singing it in future generations, um, whether you're in the midst of conquering the the tribes that are in Canaan, or whether you've already done it, that that struggle, um, that family story that we talked about, is is kind of built into this then too. So it says Miriam is Aaron's brother, sister. Sister. But isn't there Miriam also was Moses' sister? Because isn't Aaron... Aaron and Moses are brothers. Aren't they brothers? Oh, I guess so. But So it's the same Miriam then. It's the same She's the Miriam. one who hid, hid him in the... Looked out for him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then he Older sister of Moses and Aaron. Yeah. I don't know why they then refer to her as the sister of Aaron. Um, they could have just said the sister of Moses, but they go they go with Aaron, I guess. Plus, Moses is still kind of, he's, he's become the undisputed leader. There were those times, multiple occasions, when the, throughout the, the Exodus so far, Moses has been brought back to the people and they, they come to believe in God. I can't remember if it says through Moses, where they come to believe in God and Moses, right? The Hebrews. So Moses is a, Moses is a leader, is the leader. But Moses is also kind of foreign's loaded word in this context. But he, he remains sort of foreign to them in some ways, right? He didn't he didn't really come of age with them in any way. He goes he's he loses his initial connection with his people mostly when he's a, an infant. He gets raised up by an Egyptian family. Um, it's they know they know he's Hebrew. He knows he's Hebrew, but. He's raised in an Egyptian family. Then he um, he slays the taskmaster, runs off to, to Midian, and winds up marrying into this other priestly family. And then doesn't come back, and has you know his own family and own kids. Doesn't come back presumably till he's what in his you know thirties, forties, fifties, whatever it is. So I wonder if they didn't mention Miriam as Aaron's sister because they've known Aaron all along. And, and Moses is kind of, he's of them, but he's also, he's set apart. And Moses, by his upbringing, and then by his closeness to God, will sort of remain set apart. We'll see that more as we go on. Can someone pick up at uh, 22 through the end of 16, or through 2 chapter 16? Okay, I will. <clears throat> 
Then Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water in Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, saying, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give heed to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of, of the diseases upon you which I put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your leader. Then when they came to Willem, where they were where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Um, right at the point of the Passover, do you remember those two things that, that God says will keep the people preserved? One is that they are they are the Hebrews, they are his people. What's the other one? Do what he tells them. Exactly. Yeah. The prior plagues, that wasn't really a part. The, oh, yeah. the Hebrews didn't have to do anything special. They were just off in their encampment in Goshen, or it, it just didn't touch them. They're, they're just God's people. Once we get to the Passover, there's requirements now. You need to mark the blood on the, on the doorpost. You need to eat in this certain way. You need to do this. Um, I will pass over you, those who are my people and those who basically follow my commandments. And so now they've come out again, they, they've encountered this bitter water, and they get they get that charge that's the second part again. Follow my commandments, and, and you will be kept healthy, and things won't happen to you like the happened to the Egyptians. So it's laying the we're laying the foundation for the establishment of the law. And interestingly enough, the there was the Passover commandment to keep the Passover. And then what were the other law rules of future Passovers related to? For the most part. They were food based, right? Mm -hmm. um, here we come out to um, out to the desert, and it's a little bit different, but it's still it now it's water. Food and water. Um, think of those where is in some ways where is the law going to start? You almost think of like uh, this sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You gotta start with being fed with food and water, right? This, this is gonna be the first, the first part where the law is kind of being established. And speaking of food, uh, how about someone start chapter 16 and do the first uh, eight verses. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Aaron and Moses said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So they're not, they're not mad at God. Who are they mad at? Moses and Aaron, right? So, um, and Moses and Aaron are doing what God said. This is not the first grumble. We got this already um, as they were preparing to leave. So it won't be the last. It won't be the last. Um, the, the Egyptian, the Egyptian army's charging down on them, and they see them, and they turn to Moses and Aaron. And then, oh, why didn't you just? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You couldn't just let us die there. So before they even cross the Red Sea, um, it's. It is funny, and, and it, it is funny um, that it keeps happening. I think it's also pretty, pretty true. Um, that's that's who we are as people. Um, we we complain when we're hungry and when we're scared and all these sorts of things. And uh, it's a lot easier, both in hindsight and as the you know second, third person perspective watching this, say like, "Oh, don't you realize like God is doing this for you." Um, I think we could say that to ourselves in our own lives a lot of times. You know, don't you realize that it's, it's good? And, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm hungry or I'm scared or I'm all these things. And I, that's all we can kind of focus on. All right, let's do... Boy, then again, here's the rules. You've got to gather this much on these days and you're not... Uh-huh. Food rules, rules, right? And that, that's going to come back into play here in, I think, just a second. So um, if someone can do verse 9... Through 26. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the murmurings of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with the, with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay round about the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as hoarfrost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, every man of you, as much as you can eat, as he can eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of the persons whom each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. 
each gathered according to what he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Is that where you want me to stop? Yeah. Um, so, and I think this is a familiar story to us. Um, I mentioned last week when, when the Red Sea shifted that, you know, sometimes we can look back at these events and think, well, is there a sort of natural explanation or not? I mean, I used to live on the western end of Lake Erie, and the, the Great Lakes are fascinating. Sometimes the water would be 20 feet out from the shore, and it wouldn't change the depth at other points of the lake. It was just this bizarre sort of phenomenon. And they, they don't entirely know what happens still, um, as best I was told when I lived there. To that, to that end, others have tried to figure out what manna was exactly. It's not loaves of bread. Um, it's not wafers or anything like that. It's this particulate substance that gathers after the dew leaves. Um, you know, some have said it's it was some sort of fungus or that it was uh, some sort of wild grain that floated in the air and attached to the attached to the dew and it would sort of become a little bit of flour almost something like that. I, I don't know, but I, so I think this is one that um, we, we never really know what, what manna is or was. Um, just that it showed up in the morning and was was evaporated by the sun then and went away and showed and needed that it needed water at least to either gather it or catch it or help it to grow. Whatever it was. Uh, verse 22, I'll read to the end of the chapter. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has, this is what the Lord has commanded. Today is a day of, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them, and did not, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, seventh day some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout all your generations in order that they might see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord, to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna for forty years, until they came to a habitable land, they ate manna, until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of an aphath. 
and neither of those measurements mean anything to me. I'm not sure they were ever actually figured out, and that's why they're translated just as. They think they know cubits, but I think Omer and, and Ephath were lost. Um, so they collect, there's, there's this order to collect a jar of manna and to keep it where? Where does Aaron place it? With the uh, tassel. With? In the house of the Lord. Well, with, in the house of the Lord and with the, with the covenant, or with the testament, which, um, which is, which is what? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which comes later. Comes later. So this is one of, again, one of those points where uh, the, the, the writer is piecing in a historic uh, artifact of what happened to that jar. So that's what Aaron's going to, once they, once they, the ark hasn't been established yet, that right. thing that they're going to carry around, that thing that will eventually be placed right. in the temple. But within that, they kept a jar of this manna. And presumably until the ark was destroyed or lost, or if it's still around somewhere, there's a there's a jar of manna in there. Yeah, but their unleavened bread that they eat at the Passover doesn't taste like honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's the Passover bread. This is this is that special stuff that just appears, which they eat for how long? Forty years. Forty years. Um, they so this is what they consume their entirety of time until they get. Um, is it to the border of Canaan? Until they come to the, until they came to the border of the land of Canaan, this is what they're going to eat. But they never get quail again. The quail were there. Was it quail, or is that just at night? No, it's uh, when they wanted to have meat. I think. Well, Indian quails came up. I think they're still getting the quail at night. It's a twilight. You will eat meat. That's dinner. In the morning, you will be filled with bread. They get right? they get they get bird at dinner and and manna in the morning. Um, so that's that's the story of what happens to the manna and how long they eat it. And he kills the theory that the quail were coming from Europe and migrating, and well. they had to wait until they had to wait until the wind was such that it would carry them over. Uh, Oh, and then they collapsed because they were because they were so tired yeah. on the journey, so they just fell on the and ground. So oh yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. But the the um, we do we don't exactly know what the um, what sort of the the geography well the ge not geography but like the uh, the vegetation level and the and the climate was exactly. We know it was in American forest or wetland forest. Um, but they do suspect that several thousand years ago, it, it was desert there, but parts of, especially Canaan, that becomes Israel-Palestine area, and parts of Egypt were probably a lot more, um, uh, a lot wetter. They, they were still desertous, but they were a lot wetter than, than they are currently. Um, well, so we when, think the desert is nothing but sand, and that's not the case. There's all sorts of vegetation. But yeah, but even those portions that are only sand now, um, this they were still getting dew in the desert at that point, right? Most of those, I don't think most of those areas even get dew anymore. They're just they're extremely arid. There's no sort of wet wind even even blowing over most of those places to to leave dew, as far as I know, um, at least where they're traveling through. But anyway, that's just one aside. The other would be, you know, we mentioned the forty years thing came up already. Um, it came up when we were going through Genesis. How long is forty years? 
long time. <laughs> a long time, right? That's the answer. So it's it's probably not an exact number, um, but it's it's a biblically significant number to mean a real long time. You're at least two generations in, probably two and a half, depending on when they're having families for the first time. So you've you know you're talking about well, granddad started this, and now I'm a I'm an adult kind of thing. So, and when you have no recorded history or very limited recorded history and it's time would have stretched out a little bit more. So 40 years just means we've been here. We've been doing this a long time. Several generations. a long generations. time to eat the same food. And it's a long time to eat the same food. A real long time. All right. Someone for 17 uh, through verse 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. Just go with the words, yeah. <laughs> but but there, were, there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. How far do I go? Uh, through verse 7. Oh, okay. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hands your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in horror, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. That's seven. Uh, one more. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Merabah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Similar complaints. Um, and, and when the people complain and are ready to overthrow Moses, what does God do? He comes in and saves them. Yeah. By, by answering the request of the Israelites. Yeah. People. God is... God is not put off by the general complaining. Um, God is God has only gotten miffed once so far since we started today. What was that over? Or twice, I think, that God has gotten angry about something. The complaining's fine. People complain. God's okay with the complaining. They keep the manna too long, and they go out to collect on Sunday. Or Saturday, excuse me, on the right. Sabbath, right? Right. They don't follow the commandments. Right. Complain all you want, yeah. but you still need to follow the follow right. the rules. <laughs> well, would Moses, though, as a good, the best leader, have gone to the Lord before? You know, we're moving into this new area. Of, you know, Lord, provide water, kind of thing. Before the people would start complaining that there was no water. Why isn't it preemptive? Basically, like, why doesn't God provide the water first? Yeah, well, why doesn't Moses 
plead to God before, you know, to make sure that we have food and water in the new place we're going? That's a good question. What do you well, think? I think it's it's the uh, fact that Moses has to trust God. Mm. And so when God says, it's like the other prophets, when God says, do this, you do it. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I would buy that as an answer, that Moses is pretty eyes forward, ready to go. And, uh, you know, if there's not water today, he'll be thirsty. But not everyone's going to take that option. Um, but it's a good quote. Yeah, why, is, why the wandering? Why the, why the desert ex, desertous conditions? Um, you know, is it punishment for not following the commandments? Is it just... And maybe God's testing God, them to see. Is how, God testing them? To see, are you going to trust me or are you going to start griping yeah. right from the beginning? Is God just forgetting to water them? I don't, I don't, right. I don't know if it's that, but um, there's definitely something there. Let me just peek my head out and see. All of a sudden, my house is bored. Is it raining now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey. Just wanted to peek out and see what it was. We're going to pop today. I think it's supposed to be. I was Sheila bringing back stuff from community meal, I think, so. All right. All right, 17 verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Okay, then I will read it. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rem, Rem, uh, yeah. Rephidim. Yeah, Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill and the rod of, the, of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought the Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Peter went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek uh, prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under under him, and he sat upon it, and Aaron and Ur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady, steady instead of going down uh, of his son. Joshua moved down Amorak and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this in a memorial, in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, and I will utterly bolt out of the people's out in remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek for generations to generations. Well, there's the Palestinians and the Jews. <laughs> 
could be there. Um, the uh, that that uh, hand upon the banner of the Lord is um, one of those phrases they don't quite know what it means. Something about keeping close to the Word of God, maybe. Um, the the foreshadowing of these battles with the uh, Amalekites or of Amalek, um, certainly from generation to generation, that will be a persistent theme. And I don't know the exact reason. God has never been never been too keen on the Amalekites um, and calls for them to be wiped out several times throughout the Old Testament. They're not one of the tribes that goes into Canaan. No, I just think they're one of the one. Well, they're... They're one of the other group wandering around there. Uh, I think maybe they have parts of Canaan at some point. But they're one of the, one of the local tribes. So... Um, but, yes, this strange story about Moses' hands needed to be kept, kept up. Whether that's just a, a telling of what was or whether it's something symbolic about, you know, sort of prayer, prayer posture, um, which I'll, I still do on Sundays, the assisting ministers do, this sort of Oran's prayer where you keep your hands up um, is, is reminiscent of that. Chapter 18. Oh, we got introduced to two more names, one of them being significant. Uh, Joshua is now in the picture. Um, and he becomes certainly more prominent as time goes on. And he becomes a great warrior. Her, we don't... I've never heard of her. Not, not a lot more about her. Not, not nearly as much as Joshua. Chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt... After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro took her back, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershon, for he said, I have been an alien in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came into the wilderness where Moses was encamped at the mountain of God bringing Moses' sons and wife to him. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Each asked after the other's welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had beset them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because he delivered the people from the Egyptians when they dealt arrogantly with them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people have come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, 
what you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times, heard cases that they brought to Moses, and any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went off to his own country. Hmm. Why did he send him back in the first place? His, his wife and children? Yeah. Um, it doesn't really say. They need to protect him. Maybe to protect because, him, give him a break, they or they just... Weren't, they weren't the right group, you know. Mm -hmm. she, was, she was from another... Yeah. Religion and the and they and the kids were illegitimate to the Jewish people. Let's put it that way. Um, and so. Then well, the maternal line hasn't been established yet. That comes later when they judge it through the maternal. So they're they're most, they're legitimate, but they're. Um, I think also to bring Jethro into the story. <laughs> okay. I mean, or just you know they want to go see their, they want to go. She wants to go see her family. Um, and and visit her home with her sons. But now Jethro was Jethro a priest? He was a yes. high anchor. Okay, so Midian. then he he comes and and he tells him how to organize government. Yes, because his people are already established. He and he's he's the priest, the high priest. The the Israelites don't have the infrastructure yet. They leave, they go out in the wilderness. All they have is kind of Moses and Moses talking to God. But they're still having, we, we've kind of elevated the everyday issues idea, right? So the people need food, they need water. Okay, well, they're also, they're also going on with life. Um, they're not just wandering around. Um, they're, they're, they have an encampment, a base. It's at, the, it's at Horeb, it's the holy mountain of God, right? And they have community there and they're, they're still what we might consider, um, oh, what's the word for people that move with mobility that aren't set in one place? Nomads. What's Nomads. that? Nomads. No, yeah, they're still, they're still kind of nomadic, but they have a, they're thousands of people and they're establishing, and they're establishing um, community and they're having families and marriages and business and bartering and all this kind of stuff. Um, but they have no government. <laughs> they're, they, they have no way to organize themselves. And uh, so Moses, night and day, sits there, and every time there's a dispute, you know, the two parties come into court, they come before Moses, Moses has to talk to God, 
And whether that's he stepped on my, you know, he stepped on my foot or he murdered my wife or, you know, it's from, from the big to the little, Moses has to see all of it. Um, and so Jethro, who's, you know, coming from this established community is basically telling him, you need to, you can't do this all on your own. You need to set up a system. So that, that's one part of it. The, the other thing, and this has become, especially to Protestants increasingly, a foreign idea, um, but religions have court. So um, the Catholics still have this in their system of canon law, which is their church law, and they still have church lawyers and other church canon lawyer judges that hear cases, basically. Um, the, the Jewish people in their rabbinical communities have courts to adjudicate these kinds of issues between them. Um, Muslims, in, especially in more densely Muslim areas, will also go through this idea of adjudicating things through their um, mosque structure, through the, through the Sharia, application of Sharia law and the, and the, uh, and the imam. So it's, it's an idea that seems kind of strange to us, but it's still actually in practice and it still was very just much the way things were done um, in that time. The, the religious leaders are also the, the leaders. And so they're the, they're the government. And right now Moses is the, the only one and he needs help. Um, so that's, that's kind of the establishment there of uh, that there will be other people that need to be raised up the other thing with the, the visit of Jethro here, um, as we mentioned, Jethro is high priest in Midian. He is not a Hebrew. The Lord God is not his God. Um, and, but he offers to, he offers to the God of Israel burnt sacrifice. And he says something very notable about the God of Israel. Yeah. That this is, that the God of the Israelites is the God. We haven't, we've had that a little bit so far. Of course, in, in Genesis, we, we have the story of the God of creation becomes the God of the Abraham and, and then Isaac, Jacob and the Israelites. Um, when the Hebrews are engaged in the first part of leaving Egypt and the plagues are coming, you know, the Pharaoh and his magician sorcerers and their gods kind of have to contend with, uh-oh, their God's more powerful. And now Jethro, who is the high priest to another God, he doesn't give that up. He doesn't change it. But now he recognizes, oh, your God's the most powerful God. Um, and as we get to, uh, let me see where we're at. Maybe we should, yeah, we'll wrap it up before they reach Mount Sinai here. Um, as they get to, um, the, the introduction of the Ten Commandments. What's the what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. So what, what's the commandment? Have no other gods before me. So what does that mean? God is the only God. Hmm. Not quite. It becomes that later, in a sense. So for, for us who are monotheists now, um, all, all the Abrahamic Christianity, Islam, Judaism, we pretty much have settled on there's one God. Paul talks about this in, in the New Testament. 
well, if they're sacrificing idols, all those other gods are fake anyway, don't worry about it. What's the instruction on Sinai? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? It's not saying there aren't other gods. It's it's a it's a it's a kind of a a thin line in the sand. It's almost not even saying you can't utilize other gods. Certainly for those that aren't the Hebrews, they can they can do whatever they want with these other gods that are their gods. But you're not going to have other gods before me. Which kind of does eliminate the need to worship any other ones because if you're I'm if you're going to come to a god for someone, you better come to me. I'm it. I'm it. But it still recognizes those other gods, just like Jethro. Wow, your, your God's the God of gods. Now I'm going to go back and worship my God. Right? So they, and they are still living in a multi-God, polytheistic way of understanding and culture. And that won't change for thousands of years. Um, so just that's, that's sort of why that commandment is written as, as such when, when they get there. But the important part is the establishment of for for the ten and who are the ten commandments for? The Israelites. Right. They're, they're, these are rules for God's people that we're going to find. Not not everyone necessarily. These are rules for God's people. I am the Lord your God. I'm yours. Right? Don't worry about those other gods. But they might be out there. So in their their understanding, that's just something to something to contend with from our sort of modern monotheistic mindset. Um, it, if there were if there were either no gods or from the people at least an understanding that there are no other gods um, they wouldn't they wouldn't build the golden calf later I know we're, we're getting just a little bit ahead but you wouldn't you just wouldn't do it it wouldn't make any sense unless you think it really has power um, so but Jethro's Jethro's interesting and it's recorded history as part of um, the Exodus is, is interesting because not only do you now have your people saying our God's the best, now you have witness and testimony of someone else coming, a high priest no less of another God or gods coming in and saying, wow, your God's the most powerful God. Nothing validates like that. Um, so you know, always sort of imagine like you're hearing this story, you're you're an Israelite, it's a couple generations off from this. Eh, maybe you're you're wondering about other gods. Well no no no. Jethro, who was a high priest, said, Our God is the most powerful God. So it's it's meant to really drive home that point for the people then and now. We're coming up to Sinai next. Um, but for now any other thoughts on today's portion? It's very interesting because it wasn't just they wandered in the wilderness. You now know, they're out there. Kind of get the, that's kind of what it most. In, they in do some wandering. Mind, they do some wandering. Yeah. That they're out in the wilderness, uh, and they're kind of still wandering. They're wandering around that. It, it, it isn't that big an area, you know. I mean, how could they be wandering around? They must be going around. To here to here to here. They may have a certain path that they would take. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's been sort of like presented almost like them being lost. 
they're not they're not lost in the wilderness. They're just not ready yet to enter the land. Yeah, the they're not ready. Yeah, they're not ready to enter the promised land yet. So they have to be kept elsewhere. But if you're elsewhere, um, you have two options as a group of people, in a sense. You can establish your territory on land that no one else wants because it probably doesn't have anything to sustain you. Or you can wander around the borders and edges and maybe even through land that's owned and controlled by other people. And and they'll allow that maybe, right? Because you're not, you're not a threat to take their land if, as much if you're just nomadically passing through. Um, and we've seen that throughout civilization Empires and nations have allowed that. Okay, these people are just kind of passing through. We'll let them pass for a time. Um, so those are, those are your two options. You can live. You can live where it's really awful, or you can kind of keep on the move a little bit so you don't upset any of these other nations that you might be close to their territory. And you can attack once in a while because that's what the nomadic people do. But every once in a while. Yeah, uh, but but they do wander in a set path and they come back and forth and this sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, on their, as we always say with the seasons. Right. Uh, when they can take their animals and, and this type of thing. Then you have those who are mounted and on horses and camels. And connecting back to previous generations, um, when we went through the story of Abraham, right, he sets up shop every so often, but he's usually moving on and on too um, for the same reason. He doesn't have the land yet, so he's got to keep keep a little bit fluid because he's always on someone else's turf. Um, so you can't build your big city there or else they'll come get you. All right, we'll pick up at Mount Sinai next week. Until then, the Lord be with you. And also, also with you. Lord, we give you thanks for your word and coming to understand better the history of your people. Help it Help this time to be for us a guide in wisdom that we might grow in knowledge of you and in knowledge of our faith. Lord, bless us this day and teach us always to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Bye, Jean. Bye. You too.